You all may be seated at this time. I see a lot of new faces here. Um, Hi, my name is Evan. I am the ministry associate here at White Oak Baptist Church. And what we've been doing the past couple weeks at White Oak is we've been, we've started a sermon series where we're going to preach through the entire Bible in five months leading up to the summer. And two weeks ago we started. John started with preaching on creation and the wonder of the creative act that God did in the beginning. And then last week, um, uh, a member of this church, James, spoke on the fall of man and how we were tempted into sin and separated ourselves from God, but how there is hope in our fall because it means that one day we can be lifted up. How sin will ultimately be destroyed by the power of the gospel and how this is very good reason to hope. So today we're going to get into the first part of the Bible that a lot of you might not be as familiar with. This is where it gets real, right? This is where the journey through the Bible starts to get intense. This is a lot of, it may be even completely foreign to you if you didn't grow up in the church. Um, that, that was my story. I didn't know this as I was growing up. I wasn't taught this as a kid. So everyone knows the story of the creation and the fall, right? Even if you're not intimately acquainted with it, you're vaguely familiar with it. But now we're past the first three chapters of Genesis. And we're going to be talking about a guy named Abraham. And this is a name probably most of you in this room recognize, but you might not know who he was or what he did or why he's important. And so my plan of attack is this. The story of Abraham goes from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, roughly. I'm not going to read all of that, obviously. That would be the entire sermon. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and tell the story of Abraham, highlighting the most important parts along the way, and the scripture will be kind of immersed within um, this sermon as we go throughout. And so after I tell the story at first, I'm going to recap the story and emphasize the most important parts now that we all have the framework to reference, that we can see it in the entire context of the story. That shouldn't take long. That'll be a couple minutes. And then I'm going to connect it to the New Testament, to Jesus, and to us and you guys sitting here in this room. And the reason I tell you everything that I'm about to do is because since this is so information-based, since this is so um, driven in new material, it might be pretty dense to listen to and pay attention to. And so I'm going to get through it as quickly as I can, um, but without sacrificing any of the important stuff. And so I just want to tell you that's what it's going to be like. Prepare yourself. If you can stay with me, it's going to be very rewarding in the end, I promise. So everyone, focus I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we can get started. Father, as we open your scripture, as we look at your word, um, as Genesis tells it, as we look at the story of Abraham, I pray that you would just speak to us in our context here today. God, we love you, and we're excited. It's in the name of Christ. Amen. So to understand where Abraham fits into everything, let's back up a little bit to the result of the fall of man. The world had declined into corruption, and it separated itself from the Garden of Eden in the presence of God. And it gets so bad, corruption rises to such an extent that God wipes the slate clean. 
He floods the earth and saves one family to continue the human race because the corruption was so poisonous. And so Noah and his family build the ark. You guys know that story. And they save all the animals, two by two. um, And they get off the ark. But after they get off the ark and they start spreading out into the world again, kind of the same thing starts to happen. Um, There's a story with the Tower of Babel. All you really need to know about that is after that, everyone went their separate ways and now everyone's speaking different languages. And so they're not even a united people apart from God. They're separated and they're starting to form their own tribes and their own little communities. And they're starting to worship other gods, forsaking the one that created them. This is happening everywhere. Places like Sodom and Gomorrah are starting to rise places that are so corrupted that it looks like the world before the fall. And so something has to be done, but God's not going to wipe everything clean again. He has a different plan this time. So instead, he reaches out to a man to help him. As you might have guessed, this man is Abraham. It's worth noting here that Abraham was not always called Abraham. His original name was Abram. He lived in a place called Ur with his family, And Ur is known to have worshipped a moon deity. Get this, ironically, the name of this moon deity is Sin. Okay, so it's the people of Ur worshipping Sin as their deity. And most likely, Abram would have grown up in this religious context. His family would have practiced this. He would have been doing this not knowing any better. And then it's in this context where the Lord calls out to Abram for the first time in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. I know I'm going to be all over the place, but um, I have it up on the screen if you don't. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Keep in mind, Abram has never heard the voice of the Lord before at this point. This is the first time he's ever heard him. And God is asking him to go to a foreign land, leaving his family behind, and dwell there. But he promises that he's going to receive land. His name and his nation is going to grow and it will be great. He will be blessed and he will be a blessing. Through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abram, God is planning to make his name known among the nations once more. The call of Abram is a major turning point in the story of humanity. So Abram begins to walk with the Lord. Doing as he was instructed, he goes to the land that the Lord showed him, named Canaan. And though Abraham is trusting God to do everything that he says, there's a problem. Abram's wife, Sarai, is barren. She is unable to have kids. And so the thing about having a great nation is you need an heir. And if your wife is barren, you have no heir. And so how is this going to happen? This is a problem. And so Abram is trusting God, but this is still at the forefront of his mind. And so this brings us to Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, going through verse 5. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you can even number them. And the Lord said to him, So shall your offspring be. This is such a beautiful image, and it is so lost on us because we live in Houston, Texas, right? If God were to bring Abram to Houston, Texas, where we live today, and say, go out, number the stars, okay, Abram would do that, and okay, I might have about seven offspring (laughs) on a dark night, right? Maybe. I'll have Orion's belt, that's it. Our light pollution blocks visibility of all the stars in the natural sky. But if you've ever been out to a scarcely populated region, far away from any cities where it's dark and there's no cities nearby to cover the sky, then you'll have a better idea of what Abram would have been looking at. And for those of you who have never seen that, I put a picture in the PowerPoint. That's the sky, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not. And that's a lot closer to what Abram would have been seeing as God said, number the stars. You can even see the Milky Way galaxy in the sky. And so the Lord promises a multitude of offspring, yet Abram still remains childless. And so instead of Focusing on the fact that his wife is barren, he listens to the Lord. And verse 6, verse six says that Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Fast forward a while. Abram is 99 years old now, 24 years later, after the Lord originally called him out of Ur. And beginning in chapter 17, the Lord calls out to Abram again. Picking up in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations." No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come after you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here the Lord definitively establishes his covenant with Abram, now Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude, and proceeds to say that the sign of this covenant 
is going to be circumcision. That will be the sign that separates you from the rest of the world and identifies you as my people. And then he promises the birth of Isaac, a son that will come from Sarai's womb, who has now been given the new name of Sarah. And just as the Lord promised, Isaac is born a few years later. Now at this point in the story, there is a huge potential conflict within Abraham. Now that he actually has his son Isaac, a legitimate heir, it would be really easy for Abraham to stray from the Lord. Now that doesn't make sense at first glance. Why would Abraham stray once the Lord has given him what he promised? It's because we do the same thing. Maybe you can relate. So you're praying, right? And maybe you need a job, or maybe someone you know is sick and in the hospital, and you're praying for healing and recovery. And so you're praying to God, God, heal this person. God, I need a job. Get me a job. But you recognize that God's not just going to give you that thing out of the clear blue sky, right? If you're praying for a job, you're not just going to sit on the couch and not go out and apply, right? That's not the way it works, and you recognize that. And so you build applications and build your resume and go interview for jobs, If you're praying for healing, then you're going to take the medicine that the doctors prescribe. And it works. You get the job. After a couple weeks of job searching, the medicine finally kicks in and they're fully recovered. And the thing is, since it came through natural causes, we oftentimes forget that we ever prayed about it to begin with. We isolate God into this sphere of supernatural activity, right? It's only God working if it was a miraculous healing. But because it happened due to the medicine, it's no longer God that did it, it's the medicine that did it. You got the job, but it's no longer God who gave you the job, it's all of the hard work and dedication you put into applying and going and interviewing, and you worked really hard and you got the job. And so, I've done this so many times. I pray for something, that prayer is answered, and I don't even realize that that prayer was answered until months later. And I realized God did that. And I never even recognized it because he did it in a way that was so familiar to me. And so now that Abraham has Isaac, it's really easy because now he has an heir. Now everything that the Lord has promised can happen. There's no degree of impossibility. There's no miracle required anymore. And so now it's so easy for Abraham to put all of his hope into Isaac, his heir. And that's what will bring him everything that he desires. Not God who gave him Isaac. And so God knows this. And he puts Abraham to the test. He instructs Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar as an offering to the Lord. And Abraham gets ready to do it. Now, I don't know what was psychologically happening in Abraham's mind as he's walking up the mountain to build that altar, as he's binding his son and placing him on the altar, about to kill the only heir he has. He just got ready to do as the Lord commanded just as he had done for the past 35 years. And just as he's about to lower the knife, an angel of the Lord appears and stops him. He says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do that. 
This was a test that God put you to to see if the fear of the Lord is truly in you. And I see now that it is. Unbind your son. The Lord has provided the sacrifice. Abraham was blessed once more. And he goes on to live a peaceful life after he walks down the mountain, shoulder to shoulder with his son Isaac. Genesis goes on to tell the stories of Isaac and Jacob and all the people that come after Abraham. But that's where Abraham's story really ends. After that event with the sacrifice of Isaac, we don't really get a whole lot more about Abraham. He passed the final test and died peacefully decades later. So going through the entire Bible in such a short amount of time, there's a lot of stuff that's going to get left out. A lot of stuff that um, we can't highlight in detail because there's just so much. And so we go through it and we highlight the most important parts. And the reason Abraham gets in an entire week is because Abraham's story is a turning point in the history of God's relationship with man. You see, before Abraham, the world was crashing and burning, descending into the corruption that it found itself in right before God flooded the earth. And after Abraham, there's a plan in full effect to make God's name known amongst the people and reconcile the world back to its creator. The, the idea of covenant between God and man changed everything. The entire rest of the Old Testament traces back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. The entire rest of it is the stories about the nation that God promised would come from Abraham's offspring, Israel. It all goes back to Abraham. In addition to being crucial to the narrative of Scripture, it shows powerfully and introduces the importance of faith, especially in our relationship with God. When God called Abram back in Genesis chapter 12, he went just as the Lord had instructed. When God told him that he would have a son of his own, even though his wife is barren, he believed him and it was counted to him as righteousness. When God put him to a seemingly impossible test, Abraham kept his faith. Just think about this for a second. Any of you who are parents in this room will understand this story way more than I ever could right now. God asked him to sacrifice his only son. And not only is there the pain of losing that child, but that would end his bloodline. All of the promises would seem void after that. There is no nation with no successor. Isaac was a miracle child, and the chances of him getting another one are so astronomically small. And Abraham knows that. All of that is racing through his mind as he's lowering the knife. But instead of holding back, he keeps going. And in so doing proves that the hope that resided in Abraham for all that God promised, it didn't lie in the gift that God gave him. It lied in the God who gave him the gift. He never lost sight of that. He never let Isaac 
become on a pedestal higher than God because he knew that without God, he was nothing. Without God, Abraham would be back kicking it in Ur with his family, worshiping sin. He knew knew that. This is the man who carries the reputation of being the friend of God. This is the man who God chose to be the father of his nation, the nation that would bring the world back into the presence of its creator. Thus the father of the Jews began his legacy as the catalyst that ushered in the beginning of God's redemptive plan for humanity, tracing all the way down to Jesus Christ. If you read Matthew, the very beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, if you don't skip it, there's a little section there that has a lot of names, the genealogy, right? And we all just skip it and go to the birth of Jesus because the genealogy is just a bunch of names we're never going to remember. But when Matthew begins his gospel, he traces the lineage of Jesus Christ directly back to Abraham. And he did that for a purpose. Because the readers who immediately would have received Matthew's gospel would remember Abraham. They would have known everything that God promised to Abraham. And right about now, they're probably thinking, Abraham, well, he was a really good guy and we're here because of him, but in the end, God's promises, they never amounted to anything. We were exiled. There was a lot of hardship and bad things that happened to us as a nation and the covenant was not everlasting after all. And so when Matthew is beginning his gospel, telling the story of Jesus Christ and how Jesus saved humanity, he traces it back to Abraham to say, God's word is not void. God's promises have not failed. Everything that God said would happen through Abraham is about to happen through Jesus Christ. Watch for it. And here's where it gets really, really cool. As the church began to spread and the ministry of the apostles flourished, there was a trend happening where a lot of the Jews by blood would end up rejecting the message of salvation and being cut off from the church as a result of it. And a lot of the Gentiles or the non-Jews were accepting the message of salvation and becoming a part of Christ and his church, receiving salvation. That was scandalous because God promised to Abraham that his offspring were the ones that he created a covenant with. It's Abraham's offspring that are God's people. But the thing is, they forgot somewhere along the way that from the very beginning— From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12, when God first speaks to Abram, the intention was always that through Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God did not choose one people and forget about the rest of them. He chose one people to be his instruments on earth to make his name known to everyone. So why are the Jews being left out when God promised that Abraham's offspring would be blessed? And I take you to the words of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 3, I have it up on the screen. No need to flip all the way there. Starting in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith 
who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skipping down to verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, pay attention to this, White Oak. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, immediately, God's promise to Abraham was about blood-borne heirs to make a nation. But ultimately, God's promise was fulfilled according to the faith of those who receive Christ. And Christ himself was the ultimate blood-borne heir that would fulfill God's promise of bringing salvation to the rest of the world. So what's the takeaway? That was a lot of information. I realize that. A lot of the sermons of this series are going to be this way. For some of you, this was a story you've never heard before. For others, it might have been the hundredth time that you had heard it. But I want to go back to the picture of the sky. One day, 4,500 years ago, Abraham looked at that sky, listening to the voice of the Lord. And if the stars represent his offspring, then somewhere up there is you. Somewhere up there is me. Somewhere up there is White Oak Baptist Church. Embedded within God's promise to Abraham is God saying, Abraham, White Oak Baptist Church will exist one day. And they will be my people. And I will be their God because of the work that I am starting in you. Church, with the covenant that God made with Abraham, God started a massive project of redemption that led each of us to where we are today. It led me to this church. It led many of you to this church. It's led hundreds of millions of people to the saving knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ in order to crush sin and restore humanity back into its proper place with relationship to the Creator as the pinnacle of creation. Let's pray. God, we sit here remembering Abraham, the man that you chose out of Ur, the man that you chose to begin the massive task of bringing the people of the world back to you. And as we remember Abraham, we look at Christ and see that everything that you spoke to Abraham came true in Christ. 
And because of Christ and his presence and his sacrifice and his resurrection, because of his redeeming work, we are now able to come before you as your people, addressing you as our God. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that in spite of all of the things that we do wrong, in spite of all of our sin and all of our iniquity, in spite of everything that makes us unworthy of perfection, you found a way to come into the earth and pick us up from where we were. You knew that we couldn't do it, and so you came and did it for us. God, we're thankful for the gift of salvation this morning. And we're thankful that you would care so much about us to do all the dirty work for us. Father, bless us as we take communion this morning and as we sing together as the gathered church in the name of Christ. Amen.